Good morning, Fork and Socket listeners. Chester Franklin here, and I have a real, a real treat for you guys this this morning. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And this may not be the best introduction episode for you. Um, this is a comedy podcast, but this episode is probably not going to be too much about comedy. But after over two years of doing this podcast, of telling individual life stories and and plugging in comedy in between, I somehow still feel like I fall short on providing you all, my listeners, especially especially my dedicated listeners, with with a real intimate picture of who I really am I was watching a compilation this morning uh, of, of multiple interviews and stuff with um, with Mike Tyson and it kind of inspired me to create this episode today and so again I'm gonna I'm gonna give you in one go I'm gonna give you a more in-depth life story my whole life story, which is 32 years in the making. And I hope that you um, take something from it. Whether it's a more personal image of the comedian that you hear every day. The, the more intimate portrait of an internet troll, a podcaster, a comedian... And I really don't know how else to preface this except for that is just to give you that heads up as we get in this episode. Of course, 32 years is hard to sum up so quickly and without perhaps writing this down and having some type of structure, I'm just going to kind of uh, talk as I go. But I do hope that all of my listeners, uh, whether you're new or you've been around for the last two plus years of the podcast... Uh, I do hope you enjoy it, and I, again, hope that you take something away from it. So, my name is Chester Franklin. I was born June 19th, 1990, at Doctors Medical Center in San Pablo, California, a hospital that no longer exists today. It was a county hospital. And I was born to two parents that were overall loving towards me. I was their firstborn. Um, they weren't always loving to each other. Some of my earliest memories were my were my parents fighting, physically fighting. Of course, also verbal arguing and stuff like that, but um, some of my earliest memories were of my parents um, getting in physical altercations, my father going to jail for for uh, physically um, assaulting my mother 
although I have to admit, I also remember witnessing, you know, my mother assault my father. And this was the beginning of my life. Um, this was the beginning of my memories. Uh, they started out as violent ones. And I'm not saying that I'm a victim and I'm not asking anybody to feel sorry for me about it. But again, this, this podcast episode is going to cut in a little deep. And again, I just want you to get a little background on who you've been listening to for all this time. When I was about five years old, my parents, um, four or five years old, my parents did divorce. And from, from then on, I have led a very hectic life, a very entertaining life, a very thrilling life. But it wasn't at all um, what it was cracked up to be when, when I stand here now as a 32-year-old man. Um, many of my choices and decisions and things that happened later on in my life uh, they didn't really lead to anything until until the last five years or so when I was able to overcome all the all the trauma and i'm I'm still overcoming some of it um, so like I said, yeah, around like four or five years old, that's when my parents divorced and I That would have been around 94, 1995, something like that. And I remember some of the first movies that captivated me and um, inspired me. And those two top movies, I could say without a shadow of a doubt, without any competition whatsoever, was Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and The Mask. Both starring Jim Carrey. And I think that's the beginning of when I wanted to start doing comedy. That's when I wanted to be funny. I remember, you know, after my father left left the home or was, was arrested for domestic violence, um, I remember trying to cheer my mom up. And one thing I would do if you remember the scene from Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, uh, I would like I would start talking out of my butt, and I'd cheer my mom up by bending over and spreading my butt cheeks and wiggling them back and forth, and talking out of my butt, asking her, "Did she have a breath mint? Perhaps some banaka." And when I got laughs from that from my mother, that gave me satisfaction. It made me feel like maybe I was onto something. Maybe I was funny. So I would do these little muscle man routines and flex and 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 just really just be goofy and um all for some attention. And I don't think that that aspect of myself has been lost. I don't think it was lost in the 90s. It exists today, as self-depreciating as sometimes my humor is. 
I still indulge in certain types of comedy that doesn't paint me in a very positive light. It doesn't make you look at me exactly as like a regular human or necessarily respect me as a man. But that's not what it's about. Comedy has been my life since 1994. And it's never been about me. It's always been about other people. When I turned six or seven, uh, whatever age you are when you, when you enter first grade, you may have heard my first episode of the podcast, and I, I relaunched it as um, episode 68. You may have heard of my good friend Juan, who's no longer currently my friend, but was my friend for a long time growing up. And the violence I experienced um, growing up up until that age of around six or seven, I took out on Juan's older brother one summer day when I found a scythe under my, under my father's house in the crawl space under my father's house. And he went to work and I took that scythe over to my friends, uh, my friend Juan's house. And I started telling him and his brothers and sisters about the devil and how the devil brought that scythe to me. And Juan's older brother didn't like that very much. And he ended up chasing me down and cornered me against a fence. And he was maybe between two and four years older than me, much larger than me, much stronger than me. And he had more outward anger than I had at that time. I didn't know what I had pent up inside. And um, he chased me down while I still had that scythe. And with my back against a fence, um, sensing impending doom, I swung that scythe and almost lopped his thumb all the way off. And that was the first time that I took the violence that I, that I learned growing up and I unleashed it on somebody else. And I didn't feel bad about it. And I still don't feel bad about it. And that's, I guess, where I'll start this story. Um, around 10 years old, I was in fifth grade. And that's when I got in my first school fight. And I don't remember what it was about. Um, I remember following this kid home as he was walking home. I was probably saying a whole bunch of crazy stuff, as I'm known for. And he turned around and was prepared to fight me. And so I beat his ass. And that became the first time I was suspended from school. At 13 years old, by that time I've been in, you know, quite a few fights. 
I, um, I ended up committing a felony. I got convicted at right after my 14th birthday or soon after, somewhere there in that, in that time frame, of um, first-degree residential burglary. And I did time in juvenile hall, and I did house arrest, and I did three and a half years of probation before finally, finally completing my, my punishment and being able to move into my young adult teenagehood. I was a, an aspiring rapper at the time. And the one thing that I do appreciate about Juvenile Hall, or maybe two things, is, you know, number one, um, I didn't fear jail anymore. I felt hardened. I felt like I reached some type of, of goal in my... Not really necessarily a goal. It wasn't a goal of mine to go to jail. But um, it definitely felt like I had overcome something. I I put myself in situations in hell in many aspects um, to establish myself as a man at 14 years old. And that the second thing that I that I liked about it is it actually helped with my rap career because it gave me things to rap about. I I had a record. I I wasn't just somebody that just rapped about stuff that didn't really happen. I really rapped about my life and my experiences. And that year, while I still had an ankle monitor on, I entered into my freshman year of high school. I, I was hanging around with a lot more shady characters back then even worse off than I was before uh, Juvenile Hall, but I felt somewhat hardened. And I became somewhat of a monster in my community as far as how far I would go with violence. Um, for example, I made friends with this homeless guy. His name was Emilio. And he was a drug addict, and he would always hang out in front of the liquor store. And this isn't maybe my most violent story ever, but um, at around 15 is when I purchased off of the streets, I purchased my very first pistol. And it was a 32 revolver, a 32 caliber revolver with duct tape on the handle it didn't even have a it didn't even have a grip on it the grip was missing and it was just wrapped around um uh, duct tape was just wrapped around it and i still remember me and my friends going to the beach and um which was pretty far away from houses and where maybe nobody could hear the gunshots and um shooting at in a seat that was pulled out of a vehicle and dumped at the beach and that was uh, my first experience of shooting a gun that was my own 
And it definitely gave me a sense of power. By 17, it was about two or three weeks before my 18th birthday. Um, by that time, I had discovered uh, I was raised Catholic, but I never really resonated with that belief system and with that religion. And at that time, I had, um, at 17, I had become a Muslim. And I would go to the mosque, and I went through the, the ceremony to become Muslim. And um, I, would, I would hang out with my friends, and I would smoke weed with my friends, and while we were smoking weed, I would try to convert them to Islam. And I would read the Quran to them. And they were always very receptive and they seemed to like it a lot. And that made me feel important. That just how a classmate brought Islam to me at one point in my life. And at that time it felt like the answers that I needed. That maybe my other friends that, that came from mothers that were prostitutes or drug addicts. Or, you know, they had a whole, a whole variety of issues of their own and experiences of their own, of, of domestic violence, that I felt like maybe I was bringing them to the light. Just as with this podcast, that sometimes I hope that I bring podcasters to the light of podcasting, and I bring comedy to, to those that uh, were without laughter for a long time. And so this made me feel, this made me feel important, but the thing was, I wasn't really disciplined and um, I now realize that if you're not ready for religion, it doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter if you're Catholic. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. None of that matters if you're not disciplined and prepared to make changes and adhere to the teachings of whatever you're reading. Um, one of my biggest regrets was I did have a friend that was finally going to come with me to the mosque. I would let him borrow my Quran and he would go into, into the public housing area of, of the town that I'm from, um, Rodeo. Um, they're called the Bayo Vista Projects. And um, a lot of people would even tell me, like, yeah, you know, he's been reading the Quran to us. And, you know, like, I just want you to know, like, it's cool what you're doing. Um, I just want you to know that, you know, it means a lot to him and, you know, I'm glad to see that that person is moving in, in a positive direction. And for a while I tried to convince that friend to come with me to the mosque and finally he agreed to. After months, he finally agreed to come with me. And I felt like I was doing God's work. So I... I ditched school at lunchtime, so it was maybe around noon, and we had to make it to, um, to a mosque that was in San Pablo, California, down the street from the hospital I was born. And so, um, prayer, uh, Friday prayer, it's, it's all, in, in Islam, it's all about uh, the positioning of the sun, 
you know, um, your very first morning prayer is whenever you start seeing the very first light on the horizon towards the east. And so some mornings that might be 6 a.m. Sometimes of the year that might be 7 a.m. But Friday prayer from my recollection was always pretty much around 1 or 1.30 p.m. So I ditched school. I picked up my friend who had already ditched school or dropped out. I don't recall exactly which. And um, yeah, we were, we were getting ready to be on our way to the mosque. But at 17, I was, I was still selling drugs. I was selling cocaine. I was selling ecstasy. I was selling weed. And I was selling crystal meth. And sometimes um, promethazine with codeine syrup. And on the way to the mosque, I received a call from somebody that said that there was a pickup ready for me. And considering the fact that I needed to re-up, I took my friend with me. I said, okay, we'll go to the mosque after this, but just first we need to make this stop and pick up these drugs. And during that occasion in my life, um, we had parked across the street from a park. And long story short, um, it was a sting operation. I was buying drugs from somebody that had recently gotten out of prison. And what happened was it was a sting operation, so I, I picked up the drugs And on my way to the mosque, I was pulled over by an undercover cop, followed by multiple um, marked police vehicles. That means, you know, they had the lights and and the placards and everything that said police on there. And I was, in fact, arrested. And my friend and I never made it to the mosque. And that friend that was once interested never found his way to Islam. Luckily, because I was a few weeks away from turning 18, I waited for a notice in the mail, and um, the DA did not end up charging with charging me um, with the crime. Well, not indicting me for the crime. I was charged with intent to distribute. I was caught with drugs. I was caught with a scale in the car and baggies and a cell phone and everything that it takes to easily convict anyone of um, intent to distribute narcotics. And that should have been a wake-up call to me because um, Islam teaches you purity. It teaches you a lot of good aspects, and I stand by that to this day. Um. But that didn't deter me from continuing to live a reckless life. And I would pay the consequences for years to come after that. Um, One of the main rules in Islam is that, I mean, the top three, besides not having premarital sex and not eating pork, uh, don't drink alcohol. And so at 19... 
I caught my first DUI arrest. My license was suspended for a year. And at 22 or 23 years old, I caught my second DUI. Um, and since then, I still have not stopped drinking for any substantial period of time worth mentioning or noting. At 21, my daughter was born, and that changed my life forever. Um... It made me really want to straighten up my act. It didn't feel good not being able to drive my daughter to her appointments because of choices I made. The most necessary appointments within the first months of their lives where they need constant blood work done. Um, being dead broke and depending on on family members to help raise my child at the time because I had no means of my own. I was living in my grandparents basement for two years and that was up until my daughter was four years old um, it didn't feel great it didn't feel great at all but one thing that always kind of kept me going through all those times you would think from what I've just been discussing that that I felt at that time that it was God but I wasn't in touch with God at all and um, during those during those times of my life and um, I still relied on comedy. Comedy always kept me going. As long as I could laugh, I would keep going. Um, I went to jail a few times, just like overnight here and there. I, you know, caught a few misdemeanors here and there. But by 25, I got my license in phlebotomy. That's drawing blood. And, um... The opportunities that that opened up for me also kind of changed me forever and gave me hope and and reason to keep on going. For the first time, I was able to provide for my daughter, but not my daughter's mother. I was still not having the self-respect. Um, I still don't regret cheating on, on my daughter's mother, but I, I still didn't have the self-respect and I was basically using my body and, and having sex with multiple women at a, like, like throughout the day um, because of the things that it brought me. It brought me self-confidence. Um, it brought me a lot of gifts. It brought me clothes. It brought me um, cooking utensils. It brought my daughter clothes. And at that point in my life, I was using women for what I can gain from them. But I always ended up feeling like I was used at the end of it, no matter what I gained from it momentarily. Around, around the age of 27 is when uh, me and, I've, I've mentioned him many times, Elmer Torres of Over the Fence Podcast. Elmer I met when I was 13, but... Um, by 27, you know, there was a, 
I forget what the app was called. I want to say it was called Periscope, but I can't be 100% sure. But before I even knew what podcasts were, before anyone knew who Joe Rogan really was or anything of that nature even, um, Elmer and I recorded our first podcasts. And we had no listenership. We had nobody. We didn't even know how to promote ourselves or do anything. But though that moment or that time frame planted the seeds for where I'm at today with podcasting. Later on at 27, um, almost 28 years old, I was blessed with the most wonderful person that I've ever met in my life. And that is my my current wife who I've been with ever since then I've never cheated on and um she's been a she's been a life coach in so many ways she's been nothing short of a partner in every in every aspect of the word and um I had to do a lot of growing up because not only was I bringing a daughter into the relationship I was blessed in this relationship by um, being introduced to her four children. And I had to grow up a lot. I was very selfish at that point, at that stage of my life. Um, I would do grocery shopping for the household uh, when I began living with her, but I would always stash some stuff away just only for myself. Little things, Captain Crunch, things like this. And um, over time, I learned what being a provider was and what being a man really truly was. And those are lessons that I still carry with me in on, you know, on and into today. At 29 years old, we got married. And we had a very beautiful wedding in Oakland, California. Um, it's a property owned by the Oakland Zoo, and it overlooked the San Francisco Bay. From that view, you could see both the Golden Gate Bridge and the and the Bay Bridge in uh, in California. And we remain married to this day. And I really can't um, thank her enough. I'm really in, indebted to her. This this podcast wouldn't even um, be possible without her help. She's done so much for it, um, materially and spiritually, and um, she's a very good business advisor as well. And now here I am at 32 years old. I haven't been to jail since I've since the day I met her, so at least since 2017 um I haven't been to jail once. I've maintained the job that I gained with that phlebotomy license in California, and that's the first job that I've ever maintained. I've been there almost a decade now. Whereas I wouldn't keep a job for longer than two years um, prior to that. I've been working since I was 16 years old, but I would get fired from every job that I had. 
and I, I, I got the, the blessing, you know, I, I like to call it God's blessing. I don't know if you believe in God or you believe in the universe or what you believe in, but, um, I've got to see these kids really grow. Um, and now as I speak to you today, my wife is eight months pregnant with our first child of our own, um, biologically speaking. And so I would just, I would just like to ask when you listen to my podcast or when you see me do really foul comments online and troll people and say really awful things and do comedy that's very crude and rude and at times even disgusting, as I open up to you and tell you my life stories one at a time um, throughout these 32 years of my life, um, I hope that you guys can really see how far I've come. A year and a half ago, we purchased our first home. And just life has really just been a blessing. Um, the only curse that I do still have on my life is... Um, I don't know if scourge is the right word, but maybe it is. Um, but the the problems and everything that is associated with alcohol as as far as um not physically but maybe emotionally um and definitely verbally saying things that you regret while you're drunk um that hurt the people closest to you and the ones that love you the most and so this to this day that is still um something that I that I struggle with, um, albeit I'm, I'm, I'm blessed as, as most people. And that's where I have to, the, my thanks to you guys come in. Um, I think I have to thank, um, uh, Elmer for creating my podcast logo um, there's too many aspects to thank my wife about when it comes to the podcast, so I won't bore you guys with that. Um, but she's done a lot for the podcast, like more than I can even count, more things that I can even count. Um, I'd like to thank Switchblade Porter for for doing my uh, my intro song. Um which he donated to me um, out of the kindness of his heart. And this podcast really brought many good people into my life. Um, specifically, I, I must again name Ariel, the hot sauce addict, who recently passed earlier this year, who was my first video recorded podcast episode. It's on YouTube, but it's also here on the audio version only. Um, version if you want to look into that and I know I'm leaving I'm leaving something out but again I do all my podcasts in one take but I've been doing a lot of self-reflecting um, this morning I've been trying to get more in touch with myself um, I really do appreciate uh, it's a comedian named Augustino Zoida I just want to thank him for the words of encouragement 
and and information he provided me as far as um, creating my own, um, like being able to write scripts, because I would definitely love with all these life stories to be able to write a movie or write a TV show. Um, his podcast, if you'd like to go follow him and and check out his podcast. I don't know him personally, and he doesn't know me personally, but uh, I've been in and out of contact with him for quite some time. I'd say at least the last two years. Um, his podcast is called The Homeschooled Podcast. Elmer Torres, his podcast is called Over the Fence. And there's many other great people um, that I've met along the way. And I just appreciate you all for, for being with me down this journey. And I'm sure there's things that I've left out, but I think that this gives a very good overall of where I've been um, as opposed to where I am now. And I thank you all that despite the things that I say, that you still support me and you still listen to my podcast. And um, I hope that you share this podcast with with everyone that you know that enjoys comedy as well. I'm, I know I'm not for everybody, but I appreciate the word of mouth. It goes a long way. And I guess that's it. I guess I'll, I'll wrap up this episode. That is the true life story of Chester Franklin minus the comedy. It's, it's more of a raw version. I haven't been doing the podcast every week the way I used to do it. You know, I get um, I get sidetracked with with life responsibilities, and then um, alcohol. As much as it helps with podcasts, sometimes it also does seem to slow down my success, and and how much I could really put into it is actually dulled down um, through the use of that for me. I don't fault anybody. Uh, who drinks. As you know, I was raised in AA um, because of my mother. Um, I do need to shout out Rocky the Manager, a.k.a. Rockamilly on Instagram. Um, I now have a son, my stepson. He's um, I don't want to say on the podcast how old he is, but he's he's young, and he's at the age of when I started going to jail, and I started messing up, and I started hustling, and I started getting into drug use and everything, and um, he found a very positive outlet in music and beat making, so he's a producer, and, um, you know, Rockstar 1.11, if you're listening, Rocky the Manager, if you're listening, um, I thank you for... Um, being open and receptive to giving him some advice where I can't because um, I didn't stick with the music. But I think you all do deserve do, do deserve this uh, more in-depth and, and more personal story of me because I don't fulfill my promises to you and that's to consistently uh, put out podcast episodes. But I do not plan on stopping. I will not stop. I can't stop. I won't stop. And with that being said, I hope you all have 
a blessed rest of your day. And I hope you don't give up on your dreams. And I hope that you don't let any hiccups you have um, deter you from, from your dreams. I, um, I realize now just something, a detail that I forgot, but, um, but it's okay. I'm, I'm going to let it ride as is. I don't see it really positively contributing. And I'm, I'm sorry if this is like kind of like a off-putting episode or if it sounds kind of like a, what do you call it? Not a burn. Like just, you know, like it just puts you down, makes you feel down. That's not the intention of this. But I hope there's a message in there for somebody somewhere and just don't give up because uh, life can be greater than you have ever imagined it despite what you've been through. Your mistakes do not make you. And you're going to stumble and you're going to fall. But you guys just keep pushing out there. And remember, Chester Franklin loves you. All right, you guys. Love you. Bye-bye. Ha 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 ha!